BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off-limits. We can all agree 2020 has not been easy. First COVID-19, And now the fight against racism and everything that has been happening in our country for way too long. In both cases, it is so important that we educate our children. We want to educate them in a way that they'll hear us and absorb the information, but we don't want to overwhelm them. They are the future. Timmy and I agreed from the start that keeping Sunny in our bubble was not always the best solution. Of course, we want him to be safe, but he needs to know that Life is so much more beautiful and intricate and different than what is just in these four walls. Now more than ever, we have to teach him about what is going on, but again, in a way that he can understand, not the hard truths, the way that a three-year-old can actually absorb the information. So where do we start? How do we talk about racism with Sunny, with a three-year-old? I got in touch with Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart for help. She is a pediatric psychologist, parent coach, and the owner of a New Day Pediatric Psychology. She's here to coach Timmy and I on how we can start having the conversations about race with Sunny so that he becomes the future a brighter, better, more accepting future. So my name is Dr. Anne Louise Lockhart. I'm a pediatric psychologist and a parent coach. And I'm also the owner of a New Day Pediatric Psychology in San Antonio, Texas. I've had my own practice now for four years. And before that, I worked for 10 years with the military, uh, Air Force and the Army as a civilian. And I worked with the service members and their children. So I did a lot of work in a variety of areas with that. My background is I'm originally from St. Croix in the U.S., Virgin Islands. I was born and raised there and moved to the States when I was 18 for college and went to Buffalo, New York for college, which was a huge switch for me. (laughs) And I've lived all over uh, the country. So I lived in Buffalo, Indiana, Ohio, California, Arizona, and now Texas. Wow. You've lived in so many different places. I mean... Having lived in so many different places, you've obviously witnessed how each city, how their people 
interact and like in terms of race and all those places, what was your experience like, you know, in each city just personally? It's very different demographically in each place because since I've lived in San Antonio now for 15 years, traveling all over the country, doing speaking and trainings. So I get to see it firsthand as well too, because I'm usually on a speaking tour for two or three days doing education for schools and different professionals. And each region and actually each city within each state has its own vibe to it. You know, it's, it's interesting because like when I go to Queens, like New York, Brooklyn, a lot of those places there in that area, people are very open to talking about different things and they're very in your face and abrupt and to the point about it, which I love. And then in the Midwest, it's more low key. And so they may feel not great about you, but they don't really show it. So you don't really know that they really can't mm-hmm. stand you. <laughs> and then West Coast is very open. Well, where I was in LA, Burbank, very open, very willing to talk about things and kind of just differences. Everybody just loved differences. So it's just, it's amazing how each place was so different. And each place had its own vibe in terms of what they accepted and what they didn't accept. So it's quite remarkable how different it is in different places within this whole country. I mean, I grew up in Los Angeles and then I lived in New York for a little while and then moved back to Los Angeles. So all I've ever really known is like my liberal bubble. And that's why, you know, this is kind of the first time that I'm really talking about this because it's the first time like it's really in our faces and that we all have, that we realize finally that we have a responsibility here. But, you know, when you do live in a place and all your friends are super accepting and you live in a liberal place, you just, you sometimes can be ignorant to what else is out there. And so that's why it's so important that we're having this conversation. We have an almost three-year-old little boy named Sonny. Speaking for myself, like I really hadn't thought about how I was going to have this kind of conversation with him. Like I didn't know that it was even something that I was going to need to have. And so I guess we should just start with like, when do babies or kids start to realize differences? And when should we as parents start having these conversations? Sometimes you think because your child, your almost three-year-old can't really have a full back and forth conversation with you, that they're not really going to understand Understand what you're saying, so they may not be ready for a certain conversation. But as Timmy and I have realized, like when we start to tell him things, that's the way that he learns. If we don't think he's mature enough to talk about using the potty conversation, well, how's he going to learn how to use the potty unless we just start talking to him about it? So we've sort of realized and wonder if it applies to something like this that, like, kind of the, the time to start talking to your kid about anything is before you think they're really ready to have the conversation, which sounds a little bit like a paradox, but we wanted to get your take on it, obviously. No, you guys are exactly right. I mean, you, you know, one of the things that they say is how do you know when your child is ready to be potty trained and when are they ready to use the big toilet is when they start to look uncomfortable in their soiled diaper and they're pulling on it and they're asking about it and you talk to them about it, you talk to them about it, but they're not quite ready for it. So, you know, you start to have these conversations or you have it available to them where they can see the potty within, you know, their eyesight. And it's the same thing with race. I mean, you're not going to sit down with a three-year-old and tell them, let's talk about race and racism, little Sonny. Like, you're not going to do that because he's not going to fully understand it. But um, I pulled the, this research because I hadn't really looked at it since grad school days because I wanted to pull out in terms of like, what is developmentally, because we're always looking at developmental milestones, right? We take our kid to the pediatrician and we look at, are they walking? Are they talking? 
Are they doing the things they're supposed to do? So social and emotional development, by six months of age, babies notice racial differences. By three, kids at age three notice and comment on differences in people's skin color. And without guidance, they'll likely develop a biased attitude because they're exposed to negative racial stereotypes or talks about people who are different from them. And then by age four, they will show signs of racial bias. So that's early. I mean, that's before they're ever really able to think maturely and abstractly. They're already forming opinions about people who are different from them. So the way we expose them to the conversation is we're not literally going to have the conversation because it's a little bit too heady for them, but we start to expose them to things different from them. Show them cartoons and movies of diverse characters, have dolls and books and artwork and websites and, you know, all these different things that they look at that represent people of color, not just because they're people of color. Let's watch a black film. Let's read a black author's book, you know, basically reading it just to read it because it's something that's beautiful and that's awesome and that's interesting and, you know, insightful. So it's about exposing him to things from people different from him so that it becomes the norm and it's no different from anything else. Right. So that then it's not different anymore. It's teaching them that we're all the same. Well, it, and it's it's a combination, right? Because we want him to, we do want kids to notice differences because they do. And deep inside, we are all the same. But we also want to have our kids notice differences, but not make it a bad thing because we're different. It's about celebrating the differences. And that's the key. And I think that's where a lot of people get mixed up because they think, well, I don't want to point out differences to my kids because then they'll notice that we're different. Well, we are different. We, we should notice that. We are different complexions, different hair color, and that's okay. We just don't want our kids to then treat someone badly because they're different. I kind of think of it at, for Sonny's age as if like let's say there was a parent in his class who was in a wheelchair and we went to school and Sonny saw that parent in a wheelchair. Like he, he, he's never seen anyone in a wheelchair before. So that is different to him. And he might be like, why can't you walk? And you know, like you might have that like feeling of embarrassment, like you made the person in the wheelchair feel bad. And so it's incumbent upon us before like we meet that parent in the wheelchair to let Sonny know that like there are people of all different abilities out there and like some people walk and some people have to sit in wheelchairs and like explain why and not necessarily like evaluate or judge or say like really anything except for the fact that we're all different and you're going to encounter a lot of people right. and, and the like, differences don't mean good or bad they're just, just different. they're just they're different they're just and, like, different you, you know Sonny you have you have curly hair and it's really long and like a lot of your friends who are boys don't and they have sh they have short hair and like but that doesn't that that's just the way you like to wear your hair you know what I mean like start to do, do, should we start to equate things like race to other things that make Sonny different from other kids yeah, exactly. Because if people just pretended like he didn't have long curly hair and ignored it, then after a while, he it would start to have him question himself, like, is it okay to have it? People are ignoring it. Or when I bring it up, they like change the subject. Like, it's okay to notice that he has long curly hair. It's what makes him unique in certain environments. Or he may be similar to someone else who has hair just like his in a different environment. So there's a kind of a connection there. But it's just, it doesn't mean it's bad or good. It just is. And so it's about noticing it. It's just like if someone were to serve a buffet and they had Thai and 
Japanese and Jamaican and, and French food. And they're like, oh, all food is the same. Uh, no, it's not. It's clearly different. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad thing. It just means that each one has its specific flavor. And now a word from our brand partner. It's getting hot here in Southern California, probably getting hot wherever you are too. And my skin is so dry and crepey. I've been using Versed's cleanser. It's basically like a creamy, oily cleanser. It is the Day Dissolve Cleansing Balm, and it's amazing. It's super soft, and when you wash your face, it leaves your skin feeling soft, not like dry and you know tight after usually washing your face. Their products are made with proven ingredients at skin-changing levels. Plus, there's no fussy packaging, no conventional markups. You only pay for what matters, the goop inside the bottle. They really take waste seriously. They skip on XX packaging, like inserts and boxes for bigger items, and they use recyclable and biodegradable packing wherever possible. They're actually 92% recyclable. Um, They have everything, you guys. They have the Day Dissolve Cleansing Balm. They have the Shortcut Overnight Face facial peel, which is great if you have like an event or big Zoom call the next day, dew point moisturizing gel cream, baby cheeks hydrating milk, weekend glow daily brightening solution, a really, really gentle retinol serum, and a hyaluronic, which is also one of my favorites. A hyaluronic is a great thing to add to your moisturization process. You guys can get 10% off for first-time users when you shop at versedskin.com with promo code WITHWIT. Now, Versed already offers skincare products at prices that you guys will appreciate. And now they're giving you an extra 10% off for first-time users with promo code WITHWIT. One more time, that's Versed Skin, V-E-R-S-E-D-S-K-I-N.com with promo code WITHWIT to get 10% off your first order. Go check them out, guys. Hi, I'm Shanae Alexander, host of Press Send, a podcast and more importantly, a safe and hilarious place for candid conversations about the scary, funny, heartbreaking, but always intriguing questions that make us all human. Each week, me and a new best friend you haven't met yet field your questions across any and all topics and offer our take on the matter with plenty of humor, heart, and badassery along the way. We launch a new episode of Press Send every Wednesday. We'll see you there. And now back to our chat. So what about for kids who are a little older than Sunny? Ones who are more developed and can have a conversation like, uh, you tell me the age, but if if we were parents of a six-year-old or whatever the age is, how do they start that conversation? That's a great question. So I think that as they're getting older, then you start to, uh, and, and they're getting more socially integrated in school and playgroups and extracurricular stuff, is they're going to be around more and more kids. So when they're really school age from the age of five, six, is when you should really start talking to them about race and even your heritage and be able to tell them where you're from, where your ancestors are from, you know, all those cultural influences that make you who you are, the food that you eat, all those different things and celebrate them. And so I think that's really important so that there's a sense of identity. And I think that's where sometimes a lot of ethnic minority groups get a lot of backlash for celebrating their culture, like Black History Month or Asian American Heritage Month, because there's a sense of celebration. And when I meet with a lot of clients who are white and I ask them what their ethnic background is, most of them tell me, I'm just white. And I'm like, "Uh, no, you came from somewhere. (laughs) 
tell me about your heritage. And many times they don't know. That's not surprising at all, really. It, it's not. Why do you, but it's sad to me. It is. I mean, like, we're both Ashkenazi Jews, like a hundred percent, and like can tell a little bit about our Eastern European roots, but like not a lot. And we're certainly not eating like much more of their food than like the brisket here or there. But like, do you have an answer for like why that is? I mean, I'm thinking in my head, it's because we've been accepted by America and like, it's easy to say we're American, third generation American. I don't have to seek out the few other Ashkenazi Jews in my neighborhood and spend time with them because I can hang out with the Irish people and the Italian people, you know? Right. I think it's kind of a blending in thing, you know, because we even know from history that a lot of times the people who were discriminated against, like the Jewish, the Irish, the Scottish even, is that they like gave up their names or changed their names because if they didn't, they were going to be treated badly. And so once they were able to then kind of assimilate and integrate into the dominant culture, they did it because I don't want to be treated like how the Japanese and the Africans are like, there's no way. Right. And so then there's a sense of kind of like you lost yourself and your heritage. Mm -hmm. um, but when I meet Jewish people in New York, it's different, right? Because there's a community of them. So a lot of times they kept that heritage for, for many of them. But still, when I meet a lot of the ones that I spoke to when I went out there last year, many of them said, yeah, that a lot of their families changed their names because that was what you did. Yeah, yeah. my family did. I know that. I was going to ask, speaking of the kids that are about that age, five, six years old, that can understand a little bit more, you know, not only do we want to be having these conversations with them about race, but how how are parents talking to them about what actually happened? Because it is so gut-wrenching and hard to say out loud. Like, how does a parent tell their child what's actually going on? And you mean like current events right now? Yes, 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 yes. So I've been talking to a lot of people this week and my personal and professional opinion, just my knowledge of child development and just the way that I see children and their how impressionable they are, is that I think when you have a child under the age of 10 or 11, they don't need to have a play-by-play -play account and heavy discussion of the heavy stuff that's going on in the world. They don't need to have the news on and see that a Black person was killed by a police officer. They don't need to hear about the riots and protests and police shooting people with rubber bullets. Like, they don't need to hear about all that stuff. It's too heavy. It's too much. And I think that there needs to be some level of innocence that a child has when they're a child and that because children think developmentally very concrete, which is very literal, very in the here and now, is if they hear something like, if I were to tell my kids every time a black person was killed by a police officer, could you imagine the amount of anxiety they would feel every time they saw one? There's no way I'm going to do that. There's no way. They don't know that George Floyd was killed. They don't know about all of these people. They don't know about those. I talk to them about race in general and about racism and about discrimination, about the history of our people, the history of different peoples. That's how I approach it. And I talk about how we have been treated unfairly as a culture, as a race, but I don't talk about each single event that occurs. It's just too much. It's too heavy. But I think that discussions need to happen around fairness, equality, justice, those kinds of things in general. And your, your kids are seven and 10, is that right? 10. 10. Uh -huh, seven and 10. Yep. Part of that discussion about equality, you know, as it relates to what's going on in the news right now is like a, a history of slavery in this country. Like, is that something that you get into and that they know about? Yes, absolutely. And when we read their history books from school, which is, I have a whole issue with that because I didn't even realize exactly what my daughter was learning until she was home for school from school for 11 weeks. 
we were reading, I was like, what? So what, yeah, what are they learning? Well, the, the extent of Black history is Martin Luther King and Obama, like literally. They, when she's learning about, uh, they were talking about like the Alamo, being that we're in San Antonio, and really celebrating it like it was a good thing. Well, it might have been for the ones who conquered, but it wasn't for the Mexicans. They were literally pushed out. They didn't talk about that piece. When they talk about slavery, they literally said, although slavery was bad, many of the slaves were actually treated very well by their slave masters. So important for parents to be tuned into this without quarantine, you know, like we need to be knowing what our child is learning. Yeah. And I I mean, I can say that like when Sonny goes to school, I'm like, ooh, a break for us. You know what I mean? Like, I don't want to go and like read his history. Like, I assume they're doing a good job and like, I'm going to, you know, go about my life. But we really do have to kind of read along with him. Yeah. And we take it for granted because we we assume that if they're going to be educated, they're going to be educated on all parts of history. But that's not the case. And I think that's where we have to really be having those discussions, even the tough discussions, taking them to museums when they're school age, having them see the ugly side of our history, as well as the really beautiful side and having the tough discussions. And I think as they're getting older, that's when we expose them to more of those things so that they get a good feel for it without feeling so discouraged by it. Again, you know, if you're a white parent with a white child, not getting to the point of ignoring that history, because it does make a lot of cultures, European cultures look bad. And so that's why times a lot of times you shy away from it and it's totally understandable. But the thing is that eventually your kid is going to be exposed to that. And you have to make sure in order to build up a different generation that is against racism, you have to confront the ugly truths about what happened. Your kids are seven or 10 and you're still sort of preserving their innocence with regards to the specifics of the atrocities that are going on. At what age, and I know you can't really draw a line and every kid is different, but just for maybe some of the listeners who have older kids, when can you take them to slavery museum and and, and teach them about, you know, lynching and Jim Crow and, and some of the things that um, maybe they're ready for now? Well, you know, the thing is that the historical part and the museum part, I would say absolutely like from the age of six or seven, like they need to be exposed to that, right? So the history of it, I, I say, yes, start, start young, have them be exposed to that. I took my kids to a museum um, that was a culturally based museum here locally, and it was hard. And I told them that it mm-hmm. was hard. And I said, this is why I love and hate museums, because it celebrates a lot of the culture, but at the same time, you're like, oh my gosh, this is how people treat each other. It's, it's just heart-wrenching, but, but it's important for them to know that. But in terms of the everyday daily stuff that's going on in the news, I would say probably by the time they're kind of like a preteen teenage years is when you can start to have those really tough discussions about current events because they're going to be exposed to it because they're online, they're on the internet, they're on TikTok, they're on Instagram, and they're going to be exposed to it. So really by the time they're preteens, teens, then yeah, you definitely have the harder societal day-to-day discussions with regardless of your ethnicity. So For Sunny, who's three years old, just getting back to like more specifics of what we can be doing. um, We obviously are not, we shouldn't have the news on in front of him and we shouldn't have conversations about the specifics of anything. It's really just bringing in, like you said, voices of other races, pictures, books, videos, cartoons, whatever it is, right? Just like making his world feel more multicultural. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, you know, also too, you know, a lot of um, friends that I have, white friends that I have who live in predominantly white neighborhoods, kids go to predominantly white school, all their friends are white. 
it's also about being aware of that is that if that's the, the environment you live in, doesn't mean you have to move and live somewhere else. That, that might be part of the solution, but it's about making sure then that in some way you're integrating your children in with a variety of cultures as well too. So that white doesn't just become the norm and that they freak out and don't know how to deal with it when they see somebody who's different. So it's about trying to find ways to integrate, whether it's through travel or, you know, cultural events, those kinds of things as well too. Right. Like growing up, I went to a fairly white, all boys private school and my parents got me involved in like, like a Saturday basketball program that was very diverse. Just so I saw that these weren't the only people out there. And then sort of back to the point about what kind of things we can have in the, in the house for Sunny. It's like, we have that book, I think it's Ava Chen's book about like, 26 um, influential women throughout history. And I think at first, I have to be honest, I was like, this book isn't for Sonny. He's a boy. And I was like, of course it's for Sonny. Like, it's more for Sonny than anyone else for him to learn that, like, you know, women are to be respected and have done amazing things throughout history. Definitely. And having, like, Black authors who've written books about Black children and Black people in history, like Vashti Harrison, illustrator, she's done... Uh, amazing books on like black women and black boys who've like changed the world. And so just having that as a normal thing that's in your home to learn about more than just Martin Luther King and Obama, that there's more people that have contributed to our uh, history and in society than just those two. Right. I do think school is so important though. I think sending Sunny to a school that varies that is not just white kids is so important. I mean, I I went to Stephen Weiss like Jewish day school until third grade. And then in third grade, my my parents, they sent me to public school. And I feel like that was maybe the best thing that ever happened to me. Like I think that helped formulate just my relationships with the outside world so much more. So I think that that's something we really need to think about when we think about schools for Sunny. For sure. Yeah. I think like and we've said this before as parents, we talking about just Whitney and I like have, have created a bubble for ourselves in, a, in order to protect Sunny. I think it's like when you have an infant, you can't, you're in that like nesting stage and it's hard to let go of that and say, well, actually what's best for Sunny is to sort of let in as many different inputs as possible so that he can be a well-rounded like citizen in the world, not just a safe, you know, sheltered kid basically which like i was very much with with my school experience until my parents started pushing me in different directions yeah you know when i was a a kid growing up on the island i had my first best friend i had for many years was a white girl with blonde hair and blue eyes and she moved away when uh, we were both in fourth or fifth grade and she moved to south carolina And she had a picture of the two of us when we were at the pool together, her dad did in his office. And he had the, one of the clan members come to, he worked at a radio station. One of the clan members came because they wanted to do a, a radio promo. And they saw the picture on his desk of myself and his daughter. And they were furious that he was this lover of black people, basically. And she really wanted me to visit her. And I couldn't understand why my mom wouldn't let me visit her. And, you know, I kept begging and begging and she's like, there is no way I am sending you there at all. And I just, I couldn't understand it because I, again, I grew up where I was the majority and there was a mix of people everywhere that I went. I didn't understand 
racism and segregation and that there was the Klan. I didn't understand any of that. It didn't make sense to me. But I did understand the history of what was going on in, in our culture, but from the island perspective. So it's just, it's remarkable because again, my friend, my best friend at the time, she didn't get it either. She's like, I just want to invite my friend. Like, what's the big deal? But our parents wouldn't allow us to do it. And it's like, it's like, wow, that's so powerful, you know, that, you know, we have to be aware of that, but our kids need to be educated as to, although you guys are accepting of each other and essentially we, we know, I knew she was white. She knew I was black, but it did, we didn't care. And that other people, it would matter that much to them. It was just, it was heartbreaking. And now a word from our brand partner. So people are starting to go out, starting to put shoes on and starting to look at their closet and be like, do I need something new? If you think you do, if you think you want a little refresher, just to make your days a little bit brighter as you step outside into the real world, you should check out Tamara Mellon. Tamara Mellon makes the cutest shoes, various types, sandals, pumps, heels, platforms, boots. She has a new sandal that I am obsessed with. It's called the Fauna, F-A-U-N-A, and it's a silver and gold strappy gladiator sandal, but it's so chic and so comfortable. Oh, love it. Got to get my hands on it. She also makes sandals like that in heel versions. Oh my gosh. And black. As I'm sitting here scrolling, I'm realizing how many of these I actually need. If you guys haven't heard of Tamar Mellon, now's your chance. <laughs> she is the iconic designer who created Jimmy Choo. And after leaving Jimmy Choo, she launched this collection. The shoes are, like I said, amazing and comfortable and really luxurious. They're made in Italy. So you know they're handcrafted from the best materials and produced in the same factories that actually make all of your other luxury shoes. I am dying to have the new summer sandals. I can't wait. I'm going to get those faunas in black 100%. If you guys need a new pair of sandals like me, you can get $100 off any pair of her shoes right now. All you have to do is go to tamaramelon.com and use the code WITHWIT. That's tamaramelon, T-A-M-A-R-A-M-E-L-L-O-N.com and use the promo code WITHWIT for $100 off. Check it out. And now back to our chat. So part of our of all of our conversations that we've had this week or you know not only acknowledging that what's going on right now is awful but trying to think of ways beyond this moment in history like that we can continue to make things better getting involved in like local elections and uh, investing in in black entrepreneurs but for kids like what what should we kind of keep in the back of our minds at all times, like for for the long term as parents? Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I, I was talking to um, someone else earlier today, a black guy, when we were doing an interview, and he was I was asking him that. I said, you know, do you think it is possible to end racism? Like, can we like what are we doing this for? Like, is it possible to change anything? And he was really saying that he doesn't think it's possible to end it, but we could make small changes toward having the world better. And um, what I believe is that I think that changing people's perspective and and raising our children in a a different generation, so their narrative, their story is different, is to do the work ourselves because we all have some level of bias or prejudice against somebody. And we have to make sure that our heart and our mind is in the right place. 
so that when we're educating our children, we're educating them from an authentic place so that they're not seeing, wait, you just told me this, but yet that's what you said. That doesn't seem right. It also comes from not just the internal work, but the work that you do with the people in your life. So the friends and family members that you have and the things that they say, those snide little remarks, those racist slurs that is just, oh, it's just a joke. It's not a big deal. And having your kids exposed to that, that, that's a big deal to be able to address that with them and say, you know what, when auntie so-and-so said this, when uncle so-and-so said this, that was not right. That was, that was not a good thing for them to say. And then to explore that with them. And then if your child does say something that's inappropriate, that's kind of sounds racist, is that instead of just scolding them and punishing them for it, instead be curious about where they heard it and why they believe it. Oh, Sonny, that's, that's some strong words. Tell me where you heard that. Tell me why you believe that about that person. And just be curious about it because what we don't want to do is we don't want to shut down our kids because they're going to be very blatantly honest and they're going to be very brutally open about stuff. And we want to encourage the conversation, even if right. it's coming from not a good place, because we want them to talk to us about the hard stuff. Like I want Sonny to be actively anti-racist like is it enough just to teach your kid to be respectful of all different people or like in addition to that should we be encouraging him to like stand up for those Mm -hmm. like how to nourish a little activist yeah like someone who's you know not just going to be like kind of all good like just as an individual but is like going to stand up to the bully in the schoolyard and like I'm sure that's something you deal with in, in when you coach parents. What are sort of their fears? Because just thinking about it now, like, I mean, I don't want them to get hurt, but like, I also want them to stand up for what's right. Mm-hmm. Like, those are two tough things to kind of um, negotiate as parents. That's a great, great question. But, you know, I think what I do is when I'm coaching parents about their child in whatever, whether it's standing up um, and be an advocate or being anti racist or whatever it is, sports, anything, is that we always want to make sure we, tap into our child's strengths. Not every child is going to be the one on the picket line and in the protest. That's not their natural personality. They would definitely be the one to write the article that is posted and then goes viral. Or they're the one that stands up to the person in the schoolyard or their racist uncle. And so some people are more behind the scenes type personalities and others are like, no, I'm bold and I'm willing to put myself out there. So I think we have to like tap into like who our child is and where their tendency lies and nurture that. I think we get too focused on developing weaknesses and we need to develop strengths. That's really important. Yeah. I want to like play that over again (laughs) and listen to it. No, it's so important. And I think especially before, you know, with him only being three, you don't know those things yet. So for us, we're like, what do we say? How do we do it? But we're still formulating who he is and he's still formulating who he is. So it's just like growing with him and really tapping into, like you said, who he is and nourishing those positive things about him. But you know, the interesting thing and the really cool thing is that although our frontal lobe of our brain um, grows until age 26, and that part of the brain is responsible for personality, the cool thing is that our personality is shaped very early on. And for both of my kids, even in the womb, I could tell the, the way they are today is very much how my pregnancy was with them. So like my daughter, when I was pregnant with her, she's my, the oldest, she's 10. When I was pregnant with her, she would curl up in my pelvic area, way down by my bladder, and then hiccup and hiccup and hiccup. 
And then I would have to tap her a little bit so she could kind of move, but she was always just in the corner, just real quiet. So even when we did the sonogram, it was hard to find her. Okay. And she today is very sweet, very gracious, very patient with her brother, with everybody. Like she likes everybody and so quiet and sometimes easy to miss because she's so quiet. My son, who's seven, I didn't know I was pregnant for the first nine weeks at first. He took all my iron from me. Like I call him my iron man. Like I I was so weak with him. He drained me of my energy basically. And he would like move so like all the time to the point where he would like have movements of kicking. He would like kick me in the ribs and I would have to tap him. And then he would move and me, my belly was in all sorts of different movement. He was moving Mm -hmm. all the time. And he is an extremely hyper and active and vocal very kid. Very interesting. Right? So personality is shaped and formed very early. So we can see inklings of it. And when the personality changes, it's because of significant events. So there's a lots of things about Sonny today that I'm sure is going to persist throughout his life unless a significant ev- event impacts mm-hmm. him. I mean, you know, makes you think about nature versus nurture. And then when you apply it to what's happening here, I think there's a lot of people who learned racism because, you know, everyone says like no one is born to hate. But I wonder about the Europeans who first went to Africa, like looking to basically farm slaves, like who put that idea in their head? I mean, I know you don't have the answer to that, but lends a little credence to the nature side of the argument is because I think I could explain to to Sonny like why some people grow up and aren't aren't taught certain things and that's why they they're they're afraid or, or they act this way but I can't think of a way to rationalize that kind of behavior to my kid when he's the right age to hear it. Well, I think that's where some of the hard education, especially for white people comes in. And it's because it's hard to read. There's a lot of information and research on colonialism and why Europeans have such a significant history of conquering. And that there is a uh, another body of research about epigenetics. Are you guys familiar with that term? So epigenetics, so EPI genetics There's a lot of research, especially recently, that's come out about how adverse childhood experiences changes the way your DNA is expressed. So there's 10 different categories of things that could happen to people, homelessness, mental illness, abuse, all these different kinds of things. And if you as a child have experienced four or more of these adverse childhood experiences, you are more likely like significantly more likely to develop diabetes, hypercholesterol, dying at a much earlier age than your peers, Alzheimer's, depression, all kinds of things. And so those things literally change your DNA, changes the way it's expressed. So then when you grow up and have kids, you pass on that new DNA. So when we think about that, right? And we think about things like the Holocaust, we think about slavery, we think about groups of people who were significantly traumatized because of some level of genocide or enslavement, whatever it is. And you think about how long it went on for. So like slavery, for example, 400 years. And you think about how many generations that is. And then you look at modern day, because really Blacks being free is only a very recent, like 1960s Jim Crow segregation, right? I mean, that's really, really recent. And then you think about why Black people have negative feelings about the police or about white people or about all kinds of different things. 
That's epigenetics there as well, too. Historical and racial trauma changes your DNA expression. So then when you see a white person, if you start to feel a little uncomfortable or you, be, you, you automatically think they're going to be racist, or you see a police officer and you feel unsafe, that goes back like historically. And I wonder, and I, you know, I think a lot of that has to do as well, too, with if you come from a heritage that colonized and killed off people, right? And that kind of is now in your genes, it becomes easier to continue that. So it's, it's heavy and it's deep information, but it's something that is important to pay attention to because we literally are changed by our ancestors. So when people say, oh, as a white person, I, I don't own slaves. Yeah, but your ancestors did. And so that's why we do the work today so that we don't keep repeating the stuff from our ancestors. That's why we do it. You know, a lot of kind of racist answers to like something like Black Lives Matter when people are like, well, all lives matter or, you know, black people don't like white people. So they're racist too. But like that ignores the history and the imprinting that has been done on these genes. Maybe you could speak to that a little bit because that's like a really quick argument that that a lot of people go to. Right, exactly. So um, the analogy that I heard that I think makes the most sense to me is if you have a row of houses and one of them is on fire, you call the fire department and the fire department shows up and they're like, okay, which house do we get? Well, all the houses matter. Yeah, but only one of them is on fire. You don't need water on your house, right? Black people are being killed and filmed on the streets and devalued, which means their lives don't matter because if they did, they wouldn't be, that wouldn't be happening. We don't see videos of white people being killed by cops. We actually see videos of people, white people slinging, you know, axes and shouting at cops, shooting up churches and then being apprehended peacefully with no incident. That's what we're seeing right? So we can't say that all lives matter when Black lives don't. And all lives matter is spitting in the face of people who say that there's no equality here. We're just asking to be treated equally. And that's not too much to ask because it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. It also feels like a dog whistle for racist people. Like it it is, it's a real obscuring of like what is going on. And it's upsetting to hear when, when, because, you know, part of what we're doing is when he puts this out on her platform, which is largely white, and like there is backlash like that. And it's upsetting because all lives matter is obviously true. Like you said, of course, the houses on the street matter, but it's right. It's not the issue. And, you know, I heard a comedian just today was talking about um, Michael Shea from uh, S. Did you see Mike, it? I watched that too today. Where he was saying yes, that, you know, we great. say, oh, forget yes. about slavery, but yet yeah, we never forget 9 11. And, you know, if we if he came out right. with a shirt that said, all buildings matter, people would be like, that's ridiculous. Yes. Right. He was like, all we're looking for is matters. Can't we just agree that we matter? And then he was like, he was like, gay people have the audacity to ask for equal rights, like equal. We're just, we're just looking for civil. Like, can you just be civil? It was priceless. It was was good. It it was was amazing. I have to watch this. Yes. But a lot of truth, obviously. It takes like kind of a comedian spin to crystallize all these Mm -hmm. feelings that are wrapped up in these emotions, like make it a little bit light. And how ridiculous it sounds when you say it that way. So if we were, you know, to commemorate 9-11 and all sit out, stand out there and somebody would say, well, why are we here? All the buildings matter. Yeah, but that wasn't the one that got knocked down. Like that's not, it makes no sense. Black lives are a focus here because, because they don't feel like they matter. 
this is awesome. I'm glad you're doing this. Yeah, I am too. I'm so happy to have had the chance to talk to you and meet you. I think we have a, like a clear idea of what to do for Sonny mm-hmm. now, mm-hmm. what to do for him going forward and not exactly. let this moment fade like all these other moments fade, whether it's a school shooting and everyone's pushing for gun reform and then they get back to their regular lives. Like the biggest takeaway for me is just let's keep doing something. After and it doesn't have to be, like month. I said earlier, it doesn't have to be this active advocacy all the time. Cause that's exhausting. Like I'm exhausted. Right. Cause it's, yeah. it's a lot, right. but I'm, I'm encouraged because I see that people are wanting to learn and be different. And so again, it's all the subtle things you do is yeah. not assuming that everybody you know, because that was one of the biggest things is that when, you know, where I moved to, making sure that I moved to a place where stylists could know how to do my hair, mm-hmm. that I can find makeup products, I could find hair products, like white people don't have to think about that. And it, it's mm-hmm. just the norm. And so integrating those kinds of things into your platform to assume, not not assume that everybody's the same and to right. bring in other other people who would be willing to support you as well too, because they're different mm-hmm. from you. Mm-hmm. And I think the more you're conscious of it, it now that will then it'll stay with you and it won't have to be like you said this like exhausting active conversation that you always have to have right we want to get it to be second nature second nature for us so that whenever something like this comes up like we know how to talk about it we know how to approach it and it's or if if sunny ever asked us like well how did you guys deal with that or or how do you guys like i want him to be proud with how we interact with the world not just as like an example for him, but so I can feel good when he's looking at me, you know? So mm-hmm. we have to keep it up because yeah. he'll be watching exactly. for a long time. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he's kids, kids are definitely, yeah, he's always definitely watching. Are watching yeah. us. He's oh, never, yeah. never not ne- watching. No, he's, a, he's, not. Asleep, he's asleep right now, but he's still watching. He's still watching. <laughs> yeah. He's listening. He's hearing. He is, he is. <laughs> okay. Thank you so much, Dr. Lockhart. It's You're been welcome. such a pleasure chatting with Same you. Same here. Same here. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney Eve Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.